Do you ever look at the starry sky at night, wondering what's out there? Whether we are alone here, the only planet inhabited by beings? Well, whether you are sitting on the fence or whether you are a staunch believer, you may want to listen to this episode of Empowerment Solutions. So let's open our minds and explore the outer edges of the cosmos. Hello, Alan. Thank you so much for joining me on Empowerment Solutions. I'm happy, always happy to talk to you. I had a great conversation with you last time, so thank you. Yeah, I'm happy. To yeah, you. well, I just uh, am really inspired by your book. And I have to say, you know, for many people, UFOs and things like that are for sure something that is, you know, out of the realm of something they can imagine. And there has been written a lot of stuff about books, I re uh, about UFOs and extraterrestrial. I remember when I grew up, there was Eric van Daniken. I don't know if you ever heard about him. He was very popular in Germany and he had very fascinating books. We're going to get more into that. But what I love about your book, just a shout out, is that it's really grounded and at the same time mind expanding. And that's what's really so wonderful about it. It's full of people that are experts, Harvard professors, military people. It's just something where you feel like, yeah, these people are not just, you know, like you would say quacks or people that are airheads. They are really grounded people that are convinced that what we know or what we believe we know is only a little tiny bit of what really is out there. And so that's what I think anyone who wants to know a little bit more about the impossible should read this book. It's absolutely fascinating. But I want to ask you because you really what I found so wonderful in the book is also your personal story. It started as a boy when you were little, you had already a fascination with anything star related. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, thank you. But I just want to quote you. You said it's grounded. And what was the other thing? Grounded and expanding, and... mind expanding at the same time, grounded which is rare. Maybe I'll quote you on that. Oh, anytime. I, I, I really, that's what I felt, which is, you know, something where you just feel like you're opening up your perspective with every page you're reading. And at the same time, you feel solid in the knowledge that you gain. Wow, that's a great review with every page for reading and, <laughs> and 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 ground. Okay, great. No, I just because like that's a, I mean, no one's ever framed it like that. So um yeah, as a child, I was fascinated with the stars and space because no one talked about it. Like, why wasn't everyone interested in the wonders of the world? I mean, there's there's lights up there. There's lights in the sky that no one really, I mean, yeah, there's stars or whatever you want to call them, but there's such a mystery there that that I knew no one could, they could explain the physics maybe, but they couldn't explain really what they were. Was Were there life on other stars? How could there not be life on other stars? I mean, there's life on our star or outside of our star. So... I just felt like this was a mystery and why wasn't everyone really fascinated by the same mystery, the moon and the sun? What was that great ball of fire 
in the sky. I mean, I'm still fascinated by it because it's still inexplicable. And um, but so that I, fascination I, was actually suppressed by by a teacher, right? So there was a story about you having not been allowed to be fascinated any longer. I know that's right in line with your work. Yeah, I was traumatized by a teacher who said he didn't want me to read any more science fiction books because I just it was my doorway. And that, I think I still have a little trauma about that, doctor. Maybe we can talk about that. <laughs> but because there I was fascinated and then being obsessed with different science fiction. And someone says, no, you're limiting your scope. And I and now I realize, no, I wasn't limiting myself at all. I was expanding in a field that that had answers for me. And what was limiting was the things that you were being taught in the normal class about history and social studies. And they were very limited and limited worlds. And the worlds I was looking at in science fiction, Ray Bradbury was a great writer and and Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov was OK. But there's some great doorways into the unknown that were being explained and as a child it just opened up a whole field of possibilities and that is still with me so yeah thanks for acknowledging that so my curiosity may have been dampened but it wasn't suppressed when know? did it come back when were you having your I, i'll tell you exact well not sort of exactly yeah so i yeah, so this teacher in sixth grade said to my parents, no, he's reading too much science fiction. Don't let him. And that was just a shock. I was continually watching Star Trek in the original version. And then and then I discovered literature, um, literature like English literature, Scarlet Letter, James Joyce. I think James Joyce, because this was like about the stream of consciousness. And that Joyce's writing particularly was a stream of consciousness like this and uh, like ongoing flow of thoughts and it sort of reflected the infinite nature of the mind. So when I looked into that infinite nature of the mind and um, realized that we are connected to everything, we're connected to forever. And then in 1987, I had an experience with this girlfriend. I write about that in the book where I was, I'm I'm still a little vague, you know. I have to say again, it was still a, it's still a trauma to meet beings that are not of this world. They're in this world, but they're not of this world. I know it even sounds crazy to say that, but there are, I think, levels and levels of reality, and um, we're so conditioned to just see one very small window. You know that William Blake quote. If the doors of perception were cleansed, we would see things as they are, which is infinite. So the doors of perception are narrowed. We're looking out of a really small window. And the whole idea about the nature of reality, that did come in reading James Joyce, because consciousness creates reality, right? Consciousness. And so when you expand your consciousness or your worldview, you actually change the reality you're living in. That was such a fascination for me. And I, I think I heard Gary Zukov speak once. He wrote The Dancing Wooly Masters as a physics, a physicist and said something like, yeah, your connection to reality, your subjective view changes the world out there. It actually changes the world. You're seeing a different world the more expanded you are. So 
all that came together with like this experience in 87 where I was in a a dreamlike state, but felt like something odd had happened being frozen in the night or suspended animation and and just being really confused by whatever that event was. And and then it had a mark on my leg, a four-prong puncture mark I write about. And it's like, what happened? What's really going on? How come I don't know? How come I was disconnected? So it it set me on a course to see what's going on. Who are these beings? Why are they here? What do they want? How come no one's talking about it? And then, of course, I'd come across people like Bud Hopkins and Whitley Strieber and John Mack, who who really opened the doorway to legitimizing John Mack. I'm sure he was, I think, was a Harvard professor of psychiatry. He ran the Harvard Medical School in the psychiatry wing, and he started to talk to people having experiences. And he thought these people must be crazy. That's, you know, any psychiatrist immediate uh, kind of um, response. But then he started to talk to these people and realized, well, they're not crazy. They had an unusual experience. So maybe uh, he had a choice there, he says, in, uh, somewhere in a lot of the books he wrote, he wrote Passports to the Cosmos. He had a choice to label it a, a pathology that these people were hallucinating, ET contact, or maybe they had a doorway into a reality that he was not aware of. Yeah, I love this quote. I, I, I'm just going to read it quickly. So, yeah. I mean, these were mainly children that are actually recalling being whatever, transported, abducted by aliens. And uh, he said, I was dealing with a phenomenon that I felt could not be explained psychiatrically, yet was simply not possible within the framework of the Western scientific worldview. My choices then were either to insist upon a psychological explanation consistent with the prevailing Western scientific ideology or open up to the possibility that our conscious framework of reality is too limited and that a phenomenon such as this cannot be explained within its ontological parameters. In other words, a new scientific paradigm might be necessary in order to understand what was going on. And that's a Harvard professor. And he talked to, you know, hundreds of these children and and realized this is not a psychological problem. They really have experienced something just like yourself that is real and still not comprehensible. Well, I'm glad you read that quote, because that quote, I think, is a pivotal point. Not only John Mack's career, but in the history of this whole subject, it's a it is a acknowledgement that maybe the world we've been culturally conditioned to perceive is limited. Uh, and, and most people don't realize, don't even think about that. They think, oh yeah, uh, what I'm seeing is what's there. And then, you know, Terrence McKenna, I'm sure you know him, says culture is not your friend. It, it limits possibility. It you name things, we have to name things, but we're caught in a semantic reality and we're missing actually the world. So if you stand in front of a tree and you call it a tree, oh, it's just a tree. But if you don't call it a tree, if you just stand in front of this being, infinite amounts of possibility of this connection are opened up. And it's much more of the way the indigenous people, people lived on the land, people not into mechanized technology 
related to the world as a spiritual being that was full of information. That was their technology, the earth, their resonance with the earth. I mean, not really technology, but they understood things that we have now called primitive, but I think it's much more sophisticated because they were using more of their mind, more of their right brain, more of their intuition. So we've really shut ourselves off from our right brain, intuitive, creative side, unless you're an artist or some kind of creator. But there's a whole world that, that can easily be perceptible once we open up a new way of thinking about reality. So that was what was exciting, not just with the aliens, but the the phenomena in general. I think there's, did you ever study Immanuel Kant, you know? Yeah, sure. Talks about phenomena and noumena and phenomena is just the exterior world we, we label. And then there's this thing underneath it, which gives rise to phenomena. And that's, that's the mystery we're seeking. What is it that gives rise to phenomena? What's, what's going on? And so the ETs, whatever the story we want to create about this other relationship opens a doorway for a higher level of consideration. It's just seems like a, a way of expanding who we are. And that was exciting for me. And then, and having my own experience, I realized, well, there is a world that no one's told us about. That was my fascination as a child. So yeah, I'm just curious. I mean, you're, you're asking great questions, but why are you connected to this? You're what, well, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're, what, what, how do you, how do you connect into this with your own whatever experience? Well, you know, as a physician and a scientist, I certainly was much more into facts and, and fiction. But over the years, in the last 20 plus years, I certainly expanded my mind a lot into the unknown. And, you know, working with the subconscious also in itself is something that opens up the doorway to an inner wisdom and inner potential that we are not aware of or not utilizing usually. But, you know, I had a few experiences. So one was in Egypt and uh, we regularly do tours to Egypt. And uh, there is a, a temple in Dendera, which uh, has on the walls and the top of the temple clearly depicted a tank and a what we call, you know, a flying saucer, a UFO. And then when you go down into the crypt, there are these uh, beautiful um, also depictions of reptilian beings that are lighting up a light bulb, literally a light bulb. It's energy and it looks like a transformer. And, uh, and if you ask the Egyptologists, you know, I don't know, these are artifacts. No one knows really what it means. But, you know, and then the whole Egyptian, uh, you know, culture and uh, building of the pyramids, all of those things have certainly affected me. And, and I believe just the fact that the pyramids are so accurately placed so that you can put a piece of meat in there and it doesn't rot, it actually dries and uh, experiments with razor blades. I mean, how did they have that knowledge? let alone lift these stones. So these are the things that really opened me up. But then I had these dreams and you talk about dreams and how dreams can also be 
forms of remembering. And I had certainly dreams that were so real. And one of them is the dream of being able to fly. I mean, literally fly. I mean, fly, not like flapping wings. It's like really gliding in ways that you're defying gravity uh, completely. And where do these dreams come from? What does it mean? How can I talk to whales in those dreams? You know, communicated with all beings. I just think it's fascinating. And uh, that opens up, you know, possibilities. Well, you're a mystic. You've opened up this mystic kind of um, window that most people in Western culture have shut down to any kind of possibility that something so outrageous could exist. Um, Is it fear or why do we shut it down? For control. I think it's really manipulation and control. It, it, it be, it's labeled as fear, but I think in order for the society to function, the people have to follow a set of um, limited rules. You know, Timothy Leary says that LSD was made illegal, not because it was harmful, but because the government didn't want people to think differently. These these mind expanding, I'm not recommending it either. I'm just saying that was back in the 60s and now we're really already mind expanding. I think UFOs themselves open up a whole window that's outside of culture. So, you know, we have to think within a very limited functionality in order for the, the world, as we know, to be perpetuated in its capitalistic, uh, materialistic fashion where the accumulation of goods and, and things is like what drives economic stability. And of course, that's a, a lie of fiction and um, ultimate destruction of the planet. So, but it doesn't matter for the forces that want to perpetuate a, a materialistic worldview, which you know, you've discovered, and maybe you always always knew it that it's not real. It's there's something more real than that, and this is what the phenomena, whatever this phenomena is, is telling us. It's not about weapons. You know, the military, U.S. military, who just wants to study this stuff so we can create better weapons, and that's why, you know, they'll never understand it. They'll never understand the technology, and they have crash retrievals and they're trying to make uh, free energy machines or this and they won't understand because they don't have the mindset to understand the technology you need to be in the state of consciousness to understand that technology so I'd say yeah maybe they impose fear but uh, there's a book called The Long Revolution do you know this by Raymond Williams it's a- I read about it in your book I didn't oh, yeah. know such an important thinker. He wrote this in the 60s and he says the, the innovation of thought, new people with uh, people with new ideas are always challenging the established order. And there's a, a war about that. The artists come in and expand it and the people in control want to narrow that down. And, you know, Marshall McLuhan says the artist is the antenna for the future. The artist's in whatever form of art, the, those that have opened up their minds to the quantum field, as Joe Dispenza might call it, are bringing in new information. And there's no place to put new information. This is the 
the situation, the quandary John Mack was in. This is new information. These people are having experience. Do I put them in an old box? Or do we create, right. let's say, a new box that is yet to be integrated into a bigger reality? And that's where we are right now, not just with the UFO question, but with the world in general. The world is not functioning um under the old rules anymore the last three years have thrown everything up in the air which is great in some ways tragic of course in other ways but we've been reformatted now we're ready for something unknown you know i i think carl Jung says we sit in on the island of the known surrounded by this a sea of vast unknown and unknowable possibility. So I'm always looking for that little edge that will take um, us away from the established culture into into new realities. That's the name of my program, New Realities. But it is really interesting, isn't it, right now, the, the forces of whatever there are the new realities are really battled with the forces of going backwards. I mean, you can see this right now, especially in politics, anti-vogue, anti-abortion, anti-everything, that there are these, uh, there are this war going on, on let's just make this all go away and suppress it. And no, we cannot really ignore this any longer. And so I think there is a fear that is probably, you know, indoctrinated in many ways, but predictability, security, feeling like, you know, I know what I see and all the rest is just too scary, has been also something that you write in the book, probably a driving force on why extraterrestrials didn't show up and say, here we are. There is this effect of show up, and then disappear, make people just, you know, gradually aware, like, uh, you know, the frog in lukewarm water. So is that how you see it, too, that uh, this is something that will happen more and more as we are becoming more and more open? Absolutely. That is how I see it. Thank you, Friedman, Dr. Friedman. But, um, no, 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 it is how I see it, because um, um, it, it, it's too much of a drastic um wake up to land on the White House lawn was the cl cliche, but coming and going, um, you know, there's a great poem by Emily Dickinson about dazzling gradually, you know, uh, do you know that poem? Yeah, it's yeah. Like too much at once just freaks people out. And, and, you know, there is an advanced guard. People have had experience and have been a little traumatized, not, necessarily because it was negative just because it's so far removed from what we've been conditioned you know this is what i'm saying about culture it is a conditioning of perception and our job as evolutionary um, beings look pushing the envelope of possibilities to keep expanding perceptual realities because that's what invention is that's what creativity is it's you know the great painters weren't just making pretty pictures they were reformulating the way we perceive the impressionists were, were weren't painting things they were painting light and color and out of that perception was formed so they were looking at the analysis they were showing us a new way of seeing right let's just perform 
And that opened other doorways of perception. I mean, that was a revolution and also a different type of beauty. And the beauty then was in the mind of the perceiver. Um, so this objective reality that we've been taught is um, just the way things are. Well, quantum physics has changed that. They say, no, the viewer affects reality. And there's been hundreds of experiments. Of course, the double slit experiment is the most famous. If you're looking at something, it's, it's, it's a particle. But if you're not looking, it's a wave. That does not make any sense right. within the Newtonian mechanistic, you know, things work whether you're looking at them and not suddenly reality and light was was affected by consciousness we're still grappling with that um confrontation of our, our worldview but maybe quantum physics uh, consciousness is exactly how these beings and i don't know i'm just guessing are are powering their craft maybe the craft is alive and that's what some people have said and there's some hookup with consciousness and intent that allows the movement beyond time and space i've been listening to donald hoffman a lot do you know who he is <clears throat> no he says space and time are doomed he says you know he wrote a book about the something about the nature of reality but he's like saying and Einstein said it too, space and time are concepts that we've developed to reflect reality, but they're not real. We think they're real, but essentially it's consciousness that's real. I don't know if Einstein says, but, but Hoffman sort of says it. It's, it's what we create about understanding time and space that formulates in a way a false reality. I mean, of course, it's there's space and of course there's time, but it might not be um, as objective as we think it is. Do you have a feeling there? I mean, your message is basically it's a very positive energy that is coming to us. You you also cite, uh, I think, uh, some kind of a military person who was talking to someone who has been abducted several times. And he said, you know, when we talk to one of those extraterrestrials, he said, well, we are here to give you a new reality if you're ready for it. It sounds all wonderful. It sounds like they want to kind of help us uh, save the earth rather than destroy it. But then there are all these messages and theories and especially conspiracy theories that we are controlled by these reptilians and that they are basically here out to get us and we are in the middle of a cosmic or galactic war and so which side are you on do you see more the benevolent or more the taking us as hostages well i think there's a couple of levels to that question i appreciate that and i'm not saying i have the answer i only tell you what i believe i think on one level the ets are here they've taken over they're controlling our minds you know this is the archonic you know they're yeah they're they're, they're feeding off our fears, our, our um, anxiousness. They're, they're actually feeding on our emotionality. They're sucking it up. That's what they call the archonic theory. You know, the, sorry, the archons were these race of beings that came and they're, they're just sucking up all this human drama. 
So the aliens are here. They're taking over. They're running the world. They're controlling our minds. That's one level, you know, as we deal. And of course, your work's very much about this. As we deal with this dramatic uh, response to the world, as we gain more, in a way, control and power over our lives and are less run by the emotionality of, of human existence, we free ourselves from that suppression, you know, I'm sure you deal with people all the time. They're so caught up in their emotional dramas and they think that's, and it is real for them. It is, I mean, sure people have, and it's, it's, but you also, as a, you know, a clinician see the bigger picture for them and you're helping to move them beyond that, their own kind of creation of the drama uh, uh, being all consuming and you're giving them a bigger picture. So, but I think, I don't know, that's the ET related thing. And then we also have to grow ourselves up beyond that and see ourselves as the great observer of reality, like these benevolent ETs that are not going to do that job for us. You know, if you help a little chicken crack out of the egg, it's actually loses its ability to to exist in the world because it doesn't have the strength and the muscle. So we're cracking out of this egg, taking more responsibility to meet the cosmic others on an equal playing ground. That is another reason they're just not showing up and say, oh, yeah, we're going to give you free energy and we're going to save the world and clean up your pollution. And no, we've created a mess. We have to clean up our own, you know, like your mother may say to you, may have said to you, you're not having any company until you clean up your room. It's like that. We're not, it's a joke. Yeah, I just, but it's a good one. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think it's something like building the strength uh, and then if and when and how, whatever, you meet these beings, you're not making them into gods. You're not making them into um, more what we are. We need to meet these beings if they really exist or whatever. I don't even know when I say on an equal playing field. We need to see them as an extension or reflection of ourselves, not someone who will save us from our own drama. So, so I don't. Th- I so there's that complexity of the thing. I think the. Most of the mess of the world, most of the cosmos is pretty ben- benevolent. You know, it's it's in most of the people, it's like people, you know, most people you meet, they're pretty nice. You know, you, you know, you ask for directions. People are happy to help. Occasionally, there's there's a few that, you know, might not be that nice, might not be friendly, might be warlike, might be criminal, whatever. But for the most part, people are generally want to help. I think as above, so below, I think that's a reflection. Yeah. Here. So it's like most people, most AETs are here because if consciousness is a reality, you know, so right now my consciousness and York, we're connected, we're entangled. And it's like, and then you're also entangled with your family and your friends and your community. And, and maybe that entanglement of consciousness exists outside the planet into what, 
if, if consciousness is non-local, and I prove that in remote viewing, then our consciousness is reconnected to these other consciousnesses. And so we're affecting them. Our warlike, dramatic, you know, uh, negativity is affecting that bigger, bigger reality. So um, they're waiting for us to grow up and be mature and they're giving us hints. So what is, I mean, I'm sure some of the listeners are freaking out about you saying the arcana are uh, controlling the world. I mean, you know, from everything that you wrote in your book, that's not something you wrote about. So how do you? Oh, that's, that's true. That's a, I, I wanted the book to really be, I'm not, it's also a theory I've just kind of recently not figured out. I mean, I always had an idea about that, but I figured what is trapping people? What are keeping them? stuck in their dramas and is it just the fear is it just trauma or is there some other force and i'm not saying that's true but once you look in the literature there's a book by colin wilson called the mind parasites there's it's um if you look at the gnostic literature they talk about this so i'm not saying it's true but it's like maybe Maybe that is true. And maybe it's not true. Maybe it'll just people stuck in their habits and their habitual way of thinking. You know, uh, Joe Dispenza says breaking the habit of being yourself. But but somehow your work and everything is giving people back the power to control their lives and not being run by their drama, whatever the source of that might be. Yeah. And I do believe that we have to, like you said, outgrow the drama it's ultimately up to us to break the eggshell to break the beliefs and the patterns and so on and you know do you have a sense that uh, there is also a greater openness of the because it's surprising how the governments are showing more evidence bringing up more pictures people are more talking about what's actually going on do you think also the governments are more willing to, you know, be uh, transparent and see that there is something happening that cannot be avoided? No, that's a really good point. You're absolutely right. There is a fracture, as I see it, with inside government between those that want to hold back this secret, which or at least U.S. government, that's 75 since Roswell, you know, there's been this suppression of a truth that obviously, obviously there's something going on here. It's people are not just making up stories of seeing things in the sky or, or this whole like a uh, slow leaking, slow leaking news of governments covering up something. There's something they're covering up. I don't know what, but there is a, it's not just this, they're more open. I, think there are a lot more reports of ufos yeah in the, around the world it's not just a u.s it's it's i just talked to a chinese ufologist who and it's very dangerous to be a, a study this in china because that talk about control of thought i would say the chinese are are the top of the list there and so she actually had to leave china and go to australia but she's very much in touch so china Japan, Korea, South America, um, Africa, we're not getting that many reports, but all over Europe, of course, France is a big hotspot. That's where Jacques Vallée came out. So the earliest studies on the patterns of the phenomena came out in France, where in the 1950s, one guy was tracking UFO reports and realized they 
were, um, I think he called it orthogonal, uh, the orthogonal, and they traveled in straight lines sort of, uh, or patterns of lines that he tracked throughout France. So anyway, England is a hot spot. Um, you know, of course, the U.S., California, Florida, New York, these are places, the Arizona, I'm in Sedona. So there's more sightings. That's what I'm saying. And so maybe these ETs have said to the government, either you tell them or we'll tell them. Mm. So, um, and one more thing I think that contributes to this is that the the, the vibratory rate of this dimension seems to be increasing and that is expanding mind some people call it the dimensionality whatever you want to call that but we're getting closer i feel this is just my theory maybe others to this point where we can meet the other more easily they exist in a different vibratory field than us that's hmm. my theory and this will be in my next book. Is that there? This is this is the theory. The sun calibrates the rate of consciousness. The sun, you're the local star. So if you meet someone else from another star, their calibration of of the field is different. So it's like you can't pick up Wi-Fi on an AM radio. It's just not getting. You don't have the bandwidth. But as the vibration of the earth expands, including these earth bodies, the bandwidth is increasing. So it makes it easier to interface with these other beings at the telepathic level that they're communicating on. And that's in, I think, chapter 10, where Daryl Anka talks about his telepathic communication with a being called Bashar, who he's been right touch with for 30 years i mean i know that's out there how does that seem to you is it is it reasonable or when you talk to him even right i know him he's a great guy i've interviewed bashar the et right, and right i don't know what to think but he's very wise and he's very um has a lot of answers i mean especially even about the human drama what we were just talking about whatever if it's real that he's from 300 years in the future his culture he's They've overcome that sort of um, individual um, personal affront that, you know, the universe is negative or whatever it mm -hmm. is. And mm -hmm. said, everything is for you. And so um, anyway, they seem to be evolved. Just the dialogue with this being seems to be. Have you heard that interview with Bashar? I only read what you wrote about and I haven't heard it. I mean, you wrote about that there were also these uh, hybrids that were creating and you being a <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah Bashar says, I mean, that's the, that's the other intense part of this um, phenomena that supposedly, and this is something John Mack also investigated, that our genetics are being taken by these little gray beings to create a race that is part human, part ET, because they they reached a dead end. This is my, in their evolution. They developed their intellect and they said, oh no, we, we've hit a dead end here. And they've come back to integrate passion and love and mm. feelings. Because if you just breed your intellect and reproduce for that, 
you're missing the point of existence, which is feeling. So human beings have a lot of that in their system. Like and a little bit too much, but uh, <laughs> we don't know how to handle it. <laughs> exactly, we don't. And so they wanted some of that mixing with their their brilliant mind to create another race. And of course, that's quite an invasion to take someone's genetics without asking them. Of course, Bashar says, no, we've asked you on a other level. And there's a, there's a lot of a lot of issues within the UFO contactee community about that. You know, some people say, well, I may have asked them then, but I'm not asking them now to take my genetics. It's like you may go out with someone on a date, but it doesn't mean you want to go home with them. You know, it's like that, you know, so right, it's like right. change your mind. And Bashar says, no, you have this, well, I don't know about contract, but something. And there's a little bit of this, um, cosmic me too like thing that's going on with <laughs> but it's interesting because you write that a lot of people that got uh, abducted had PTSD but then later on they realized that it also had some after effects that were positive greater intuition greater awareness greater connections well that's true that's true and this has been a study by Ray Hernandez and by the free organization they interviewed 5,000 people who claimed to have had contact and I think 80% of them thought it was negative. And then uh, years later, after they integrated, they realized that that was not only positive, it, it put them on a life path that opened them up to more possibilities. So maybe it's like going to the dentist. It's really awful. And then it's like, oh, yeah, there, my, my teeth feel better or something like that. Yeah, so, maybe, yeah. Or maybe it's only awful because we don't know it and we are uh, just shocked by the unknown. Yes, it is. That's a good point. You're right. So there's this movement and it's so subtle. It's a subtle, like counter or subculture sort of thing about the integration of this. And most of the world, even this conversation, will have no idea what we're talking about. I hope you don't lose your clients there. Because <laughs> I'm going to ask a question right afterwards to bring them back. <laughs> right, right, right. But no, this is so far out, the normal, but yet hundreds of thousands of people around the world, and that's a, still a small population, are having inexplicable experiences based on the old paradigm including me and sounds like you and maybe if we talk about it publicly we'll find out there's a lot more of us than we thought i think everyone's had strange coincidences happen to them and something yes. odd synchronicities that you just can't explain by coincidence by chance um so the world is what is ultimately what I'm trying to discover. What's really going on here? What mm -hmm. is the world really made of? And yes, there's ETs, there's interdimensional, but who are we essentially? That's really the positive note of the book. It's making contact with yourself. Making, right? Right. And yeah. that's the mind expansion piece of it that I really enjoy. And that also is kind of, you know, trickling in it's not something that you know hits you with a four by four you're just more and more expanding your mind but that's the question i wanted to ask you non-believers out there still shaking their heads what's going on what were they smoking and what would you say is the one 
piece of evidence you're presenting in the book that really convinced you that this is not just a nice Star Trek fiction here? Well, first, I think it was first it's experience. Right. You know, you, if you have any, you can't argue with your own experience. You may argue with beliefs, but this is not about belief. I mean, it's not a religious phenomena. I mean, there's people who claim it to be that. This is about actuality. That's why my my quote at the first at the beginning of my chapter says, when actuality goes beyond imagination, it's like we can actuality is the living experience of of a new reality. And you know, sometimes if you had an experience, there's no place to put it because there's no map for that in reality. So, but what I'm, and, and the subtitle preparing for the new realities of extraterrestrial existence, I'm giving people a map to place their experience. So if you've had something unusual happen to you, don't write it off as imagination or, or fantasy or, oh, it's a coincidence. Look at the anomalies in your life maybe you're supposed to meet that person that day on that time and and so look at the magic in each every person's life and there has to be some somewhere you know and and that's a doorway into another level of reality that exists all the time it really is an opening to possibilities that take us beyond the imagination, beyond the ordinary, into the extraordinary, extraordinary. And what is this body? What is animating, you know, that body there, Dr. Friedman? What, what is it? Where does that go? And what is, where does it come from? Like when I saw my first channel, Ramtha, do you know Ramtha? Yeah, yeah, of course. Joe Depends. I was also... A- yeah, uh, Joe Dispenza. Yeah. I knew Joe Dispenza back in the Ramtha days before. Oh, okay. She was in Washington, state of Washington, right? I would go out there twice a year and see Joe out there twice a year, like starting in 1981. Oh, that wow. was the the doorway that opened for me was seeing Ramtha, and like I, you know, coming from a psychological model, this woman claiming to be this 35,000 year old Atlantean warrior really just seemed crazy. So those were the possibilities I considered going into that workshop. I came because I was curious, like, and so she was either crazy, she was acting for the money or whatever, or very, very small percentage could be, maybe, maybe, maybe this is true. I still don't know the answers to that, but in the workshop, uh, Ramtha says, everyone wants to see what this phenomena of channeling is, but who are you channeling? Where's that voice coming from? Who are you? Where's the, where's the force of that emanation? And that's opened me up. Yeah, that was the first time I thought, oh yeah, we have a body, but where's the animation? It's not just from the food you're eating that's giving you life. And where's consciousness coming from? And how can we have telepathic communication? How can our minds be non-local and remote view something that's around the planet? These are like miracles of existence, you know, and you feel something that someone's feeling like, you know, you know, when someone's upset, you just feel it. So 
where's and how come we're not taught that so the feeling nature if i had to leave i tell someone where's the source of your feeling consciousness issue from in the classical work way you know the egyptians knew that the ba and the ka separated and came a force in the universe and right. so um there's there most most traditions have a mystical understanding definitely the aborigines in australia us having spent time with them because of our our obsession with newtonian science and mechanism mechanization and the industrial age which is still affecting us we've lost the connection to our intuition and also to our inner magic i think it's something that you know unfortunately since our emotions are the drama that we avoid we also avoid ourselves and so we're not paying attention we're not listening we are uncomfortable so I love what you just said about listening to this inner voice, whether it's intuition, whether it's some guidance. I mean, I I definitely know this from working with clients that sometimes I'm saying things that I definitely have never thought about. They're just the right thing at the right time. Sometimes I bring up, yesterday I brought up something for a client who said, oh my God, you say exactly that, what I just read yesterday. So, you know, these things you just know, that's not anything explainable necessarily with Newtonian uh, consciousness. This is something that is a, tapped into a consciousness that connects us and whatever that is. A, that's the value of Carl Jung's psychology. He was not looking for pathologies. He was looking for, exactly. and so he saved the Western world from its own obsession with machines everyone's worried about ai now ai does not have the ghost in the machine it's never going to be conscious if it's just machines it may be really sophisticated but it's been programmed exactly. what what we are is not a, a, a bio machine it's infinite this is just my belief it's beyond time and space and energy and matter it is it is being human being and it's pretty amazing to be here at a time where ets are coming the nature of reality is bending time and space is being manipulated we're confronting a bigger reality and so we have to push the envelope of what's possible you know uh, Jeffrey Kripal at Rice University has the archives of the impossible, mm-hmm. you know, and and when we talk about UFOs, ETs, it's so impossible within the old format. But if you just extend yourself a little bit, if you just look out into space a little bit into the infinite nature of the unknown then you realize that there's magic. At the end of the book, you have the book there, right? And to, like there's, I quote Einstein, mm-hmm. who said, at some p- times you stand on a small planet looking at the unfathomable of the unknown and you realize there's neither destiny or evolution, only being, you know? Wow, yeah, that's beautiful. So he never lost the wonder uh, of of even though he figured out probably a lot more than 
most people have ever lived, the magic of being is is the thing I would leave listeners, viewers yes. with. Like, who are you? Where are you from? What is the nature of your infinite consciousness? And and to realize that we are magical beings, uh, in, in, capable of the uh, of untold possibilities. Of course, we put that a lot into destruction, but let's turn it around. Let's realize we're connected, all of us, me and you and everyone listening, and that what happens to anyone happens to all of us. So, you know, it's not, it's about cleaning up the planet, becoming cohesive, connected, realizing we're part of a super organism. This is Bruce Lipton. I quote him at the end of the book. And he says, when we realize that we're all cells in one human body, one conscious and come together in a coherent fashion, we create a wholeness, a oneness of thought. Like all the cells in your body are listening to this. They're all individual cells, but they're creating a focal point of consciousness. We're all cells in a bigger human body. And he says, we are not humans until we create the being of humanity then we realize the, the true nature of our separate consciousness. It's not separate. So when we come together as a oneness of consciousness, that's the time we can meet other onenesses. You know? So maybe along those lines here, just reminders of that or teachers to help us elevate our consciousness to a level that we don't necessarily believe it's possible. And I want to just quote one thing that you had there for all those out there that are still wondering, what are we talking about? Ken Wilbur wrote, simply let wonder fill your being until it takes you out of yourself into the staggering mystery that exists, that is the existence of the world, a mystery that facts alone can never begin to fill. If spirit does exist, it will lay out in that direction, the direction of wonder, a direction that intersects the very heart of science itself in the search for an ultimate ground. And I think that is ultimately what we are talking about. So it's not only like you said about are they extraterrestrial or not, it's really about which direction are we going and are we remembering that it's us that we need to wonder and keep on wondering. That's great. And thanks for reminding me of that quote. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ken Wilber's such an intellect, but he's also a mystic. And he's probably like the best spiritual philosopher, scientist we have. And he and 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 we need to be remind ourselves about the wonder. That is what science is about. It's right. not figuring it out. It's Einstein says it's it's about asking the right questions. Hmm. It's like, yeah, the wonder is what is fueling the on civilization. It's what maybe the modern culture has given us a little mm, um, piece of beyond survival so we could really understand why we're here and who we are and, and the excitement of being, which you know, is why we incarnated in the first place. We didn't incarnate to fight for survival. We came here to create, to emulate creation as creators. And so that's... Co-creators, especially. 
so alan just for the people who wonder how to get in contact with your work and all these things how can they find you first of all i want to say i really appreciate your intelligence not just in, but tuning in sensitivity to discuss this topic i know mm. just possibilities because that's all i'm throwing out are possibilities it's like because once you decide things are the way they are you shut yourselves off to more so possibilities keep us kept kept us alive you know as a species what's oh what is over that hill what if i plant this thing what if i look in this direction what you know possibilities evolve us so you know and i appreciate your openness as that and thank you, you know, and thank you for playing with me and uh, <laughs> being such a wonderful, yeah, just uh, an amazing teacher, mystic, and uh, also really a reminder of the infinite possibilities of the human consciousness. So where do they find you? Find me at New Realities, the name of my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash new realities. I am rebuilding my website, newrealities.com. It's not up yet. My email is newrealities at earthlink.net. And if you're in the US or anywhere, you get my book at Barnes and Noble, probably in most Barnes and Noble around the country. And then online. On, and um, I'm, yeah, I, I, there's so much more to this and we'll discuss that more, but there's, there's we're at a time where on the threshold of the new, of a renaissance really and meeting the others will usher in a renaissance of possibilities that is far superior to the european renaissance which changed the world in the 14th 15th century and gave us the modern world we are living in now we're at this next phase and we really can't see where it's going but we can only um, contemplate its its utopian possibilities. You know, we've we've suffered for too long as a species. You know, but I do um, believe it's a choice we have to make as well. I mean, it yeah. is something where all of us are called, like you said, about you know which direction do we choose to go? Do we go into resistance and duality? or we do this new reality and uh, choose to to widen our horizons and perspectives. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be like changing everything at once, but you know, little steps, like you said, just listening to the end of our conversation. That would be already a good start. <laughs> start listening to the end. That's a contradiction. No, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> It's full of paradoxes. So you're right. You're right. Let's continue this sometime. I'm yes, happy. Yes, I would love to. Two more interviews with you as well. And um, we'll just thank play. You. Well, thank you very much, Alan. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next time together. Uh, thank you. I may, I'll be, might be in Europe this summer. So I'll let you know. Okay. Oh, that would be great. Come by. <laughs> All right. You take care. 